Hello and welcome to another edition of the In Context podcast. Today I have another friend of mine, a good friend Mo. He's a member of New Life Church in Middlesbrough. How are you doing, Mo? I'm very well, thank you, Ian. <laughs> it's a pleasure, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, Long awaited meeting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, thanks for joining us, brother. Uh, first of all, rather than me introduce yourself, why don't you share a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, how you come to faith, and what brings you to New Life Church in Middlesbrough? Okay. Okay, where? Okay, my name, my full name is Mofi Infolua. Yeah, but it's more for sure. I'm sure you have a hard time to pronounce that. It's six syllables. <laughs> <laughs> but then that means I give praise to God. Uh, where I come from, uh, our names are in sentences because it has to make sense somehow. <laughs> I'm sure you understand what I mean. Yeah. But yeah, it's more for short. And um, yes, I'm a Christian. That's the first way I want to introduce myself because that's the first thing I always want to be seen in me. And um, I'm a Nigerian. I come from um, one of the most populated Southwest states. Um, that's Ogo State. Even though I live, I lived in Lagos State uh, most of my life, but um, my state of origin is Ogo State, and um, I'm Yoruba by tradition. We've got three major tribes in Nigeria, and I'm I'm a Yoruba man from Nigeria, and uh, um, like I said, I'm a Christian. So that's the, the the basic factor of my identity. And um, what brings me to New Life Church? Is that a question again? Yeah, yeah. Trying to recall. <clears throat> okay. Um, interestingly, um, I came with an open mind to um, England and Middlesbrough, and I just expected to uh, come across a fellowship I was comfortable with in my spirit and. It um, was a hard time, I must confess. I'd been in a couple of places, and but then I wasn't convinced. My spirit just didn't click with it. But then um, we always prayed about it, myself and my wife, uh, just having that Christian fellowship where we know that um, this is really about Christ. This is Christ-centered. It's not just a community gathering. And um, one of those days, a friend of mine told me, he knew the cry of my heart anyway, that, oh, I've, I've been in a place... Uh, but that's Calvin. Anyway, I'm sure you know Calvin. I've been in a place I think you will like it. And initially, I, I, I almost declined. I said, I've been in a couple of places. I think they're all the same. Uh, <laughs> not like I'm trying to be judgmental here, but the truth is that you know what you want when you see it, then you know it. And then I, I decided to give it a try. And in my first meeting, I, I was convinced that uh, these uh, people conscious of the presence of Christ and who I, I saw the, the, the from the doctrines I could perceive, I was comfortable, and I knew it was a place in which I could easily integrate um, in the faith. Mm. So that's how I found New Life Church, and I must say I'm enjoying myself. Mm. <laughs> oh, <good. clears throat> so share a little bit about church in Nigeria. What was it like when you were first saved? How did you first become a Christian, and what was church like? For you in Nigeria? Okay. Um, well, uh, let me explain it this way because it's um, a little bit dicey when people ask me how I became a Christian, you know, but I think I'm able to still explain two different phases. First is to say I was born into a Christian um, 
home, mm. I had that advantage, unlike some other Christians today who, you know, were not in the right environment. So I was brought up by very godly parents. Um, my dad, especially, is someone I respect. Um, when I think of the fruits, my dad is um, glorified now. Um, but then um, the little time we spent together was enough to make me use for a lifetime when I want to think of Christian values and the fruit of the Spirit in which I could identify in him. And this was a man who was always there. He was not that kind of father who was to be easy to spend time with us. So, yes, he was into ministry. He was into uh, secular work and uh, all some other forms of vocations. But then family was very important to him. And he knew each of us intimately. And the best of what he wanted to pour out to each and every one of us was the Christ he had in him. And we saw a whole lot of that. We had and held it of what he had to show. And just like uh, people say, when you want to teach a child things, uh, uh, children learn things faster when they see you do it than when you tell them. So my dad lived an exemplary Christian life in which I, I still hold on to those values today. Uh, but then, uh, being born in a Christian home, having that kind of father was not enough to make me born again. It only created um, a conducive atmosphere for me. So I think um, while I was just about a clock 14, I guess, uh, probably not a couple of years back, um, uh, we lost him, you know, and that was the turnaround phase for me, really, because not going to stop the reality of not going to see my dad again and all that it's got me broken sincerely and um it was an opportunity for the Holy spirit to break into me that you see all this um, church tradition there's something more than this there's something that transcends the present time into eternity you really need to get serious with these things and i must say in the course of my uh brokenness that phase of my life that was when I could really sit down to say, what exactly does it mean to be born again? I think I really want to get this to the next level. And I can recall that the first time ever that I would say I asked Jesus in my life, I was alone in my room. I just took, you know, in retrospect, I thought about all I've been through, thought about my dad's life. how he's been an example. And I'm like, oh, I want to be like him. I love the life he lived. And I really want to have that thing he had which was the Christ, and I wanted to take this path now. I didn't want to do church. I didn't want to be a Christian because I was born to a Christian home. I didn't want to be a Christian because we were told to be Christians. I wanted to know Christ for myself, and I asked Jesus in my heart, by myself, all in my room, the Holy Spirit just got me arrested. And I must say it's been a beautiful experience. Yeah, experience of growth. Yeah, that was the first time, but of course I've had hiccups along the line, and God at some point raised people raised fathers, you know, raised counselors at different points in my life, you know, through the discipleship phase, you know, and uh, through the discovery of myself and how I could integrate into living the life of Christ, regardless of my consciousness of, you know, my environment and all of that. But I must say it's been a beautiful experience. God has been faithful. He, he has raised men sincerely for every phase of my life. To you know, see me through processes of discipleship, uh, at least till I got to a point where I could easily know that. Oh, thank God! If I look back, there have been testimonies about my salvation story. Awesome. <clears throat> so you mentioned there that there was 
uh, a number of godly men who came in and, and discipled you and uh, yeah gave you like a, a that's true one man particularly i would say one one major man and then of course a few other people along the line yeah. but i've had a counselor for from my teenage days i just met him somehow i wouldn't say i met him by accident he was a missionary who was in the neighborhood and he just used to organize his fellowships on sunday evenings and of course as a church boy like i said i was interested in things like that and i kept going and <laughs> somehow you know we we went through phases like i said i was a teenager if lots was still going on i was um just um out of secondary school mm -hmm. seeking admission into the university and all of that you know a lot of discoveries um at some point i found myself in the middle of uh, bad relationships bad friends trying to learn new things that were not godly even after i had given my life to christ you know it was a phase of growth and Someone like him was there to always ask questions and always um, making us see the meaning of what we did, mm. made us understand certain aspects of the scriptures, put us in a position where we could understand how not to condemn ourselves, how that when we fall, our fall is not to say we lost our salvation, but our fall is to get us up and run back to God again. You know, all those things, I needed some more clarity. Mm. And somehow... It was just there, and uh, God gave me the grace to maintain that relationship. It was always there. Interestingly, I still spoke with him this morning. You know, <laughs> he called me and prayed for me. And I'm talking about uh, an experience that has, um, you know, it's over 20 years I've been in this relationship. So he's one major father I have that has been of um, spiritual impact to me. That's among some other people I have met in life. Well, he's just a major person that has been there all the way. There's a, so anytime I think that he's not around to do some things, you know, I'm grateful to God that he's able to, you know, <laughs> make up for it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. So discipleship was important. Um, what was the Sunday church service like and, and the weekly life of the church that you belong to in Nigeria? Yes, um, almost a similar story for the way I just talked about how I discovered New Life Church. Mm -hmm. um, when I was done with the university and I was coming back home, I had a different perspective to church. And um, I really wanted something more, something more than the regular church for tradition or, um, you know, some excesses I had come to understand in the church and I just wanted something deeper. I wanted something more intimate. I wanted something Christ-centered. I didn't want the gospel of Christ for what I wanted. I wanted something to really um, work on my heart for growth. And I went all around searching for a church. Of course, not a perfect church, but a church that was conscious of the person of Christ and wanted to stay in that limit so that we don't get conformed. Sincerely speaking, a lot of churches have conformed, you know, to the style of the New Age movement and all that. But I was pretty conscious. Thank God for discipleship. So we knew at least what we were looking for from what we didn't want. And along the line, I discovered a place that um, I noticed the doctrine was quite Christ-centered. And I became a member. And um, from there, I started to grow. That's not to discredit my own church, uh, I must say. But then I just wanted something more than uh, they played their part, you know, 
I, I have to acknowledge that my childhood church memories. I, I, I started from the Foursquare Gospel Church. It's an international church. It's everywhere. It's here in the UK. It's in the US. I think it started from the US before they came into Nigeria. And the uh, Foursquare Gospel Church has really done a whole lot. You know, our childhood days, you know, the growth of the teachings and what have you. My parents were clergies in Foursquare Gospel Church. But, you know, there was just that point in my life I wanted something more than... Uh, that was for the phase. It was another level which I wanted something more intimate and I really needed to explore um, a Christ-centered um, doctrine, consistent teachings, just to give me a leap forward in the walk of the faith. Mm. And then I discovered um, Integrity Worship Center. Um, Lagos Church is called the Miners Place. And that was where I was until I came into the UK. So what was the Sunday service like? What was the length of service? What was the worship like? And uh, yeah, what, what were you used to before you came to the UK on a Sunday? Okay, um, it's pretty different. Um, I must say, uh, well, <laughs> in Africa or in Nigeria where I grew up, church, talking of, uh, I think you mentioned something about timing now. Yeah. I think we spend more time in church uh, to fellowship. Not in every case, actually, but maybe most of the churches I've joined, yeah. um, we spend more time in church. And for someone like me in particular, you know, I've always been someone who has been busy with something or the other, some activities in church. So even when service is short, we might always have a reason to hold some meetings uh, you do this, you fix that. I took pleasure in doing all those stuff. I, at some point, I was music director. At some point, I was just a keyboardist. At some point, I got into some level of church leadership, handling finance, administrative issues. And um, I have always been close to all my pastors. Let me put it that way. So I've always been a busy person <laughs> within the four walls of the church and if I will talk of my own personal experience, I spend hours in church because if not for the service itself, it's for other subunits, you know, meetings and what have you. But on the average, I will say um, churches in the UK have more discipline with timing. Mm. You know, this is an administrative issue now. I, I won't say it's a spiritual, spiritual thing, but when it comes to timing, you know, I can come to church here in the UK and say, okay, church is going to be over this time. I'm going to be at home at this time. But church back home, you know, <laughs> the spirit can just take over and increase <laughs> increase your stay in church. And, uh, you know, uh, but it's, it can be fun. It can be fun. It's, it also has its own um, interesting sides. <laughs> oh. So you, you, you were in a good church. You had discipleship and, and friends and... You were part of a culture and a country that you were familiar with. And then you moved thousands of miles to the UK, uh, where the culture's different, the weather's different, and the church is different. What were some of your fears and concerns when first coming to the UK? Our, to be honest, um, my major fears were centered um, around my kids, my family, uh, my kids especially. I was uh, very worried at some point, thinking about um, uh, the extreme aspects of uh, the new culture here in the UK, how I will have to explain so many things I never had to explain before, um, things that we'll see and wonder, Dad, why is this like this? Why is it like that? 
and I knew I was in for a serious work when it comes to getting closer to my kids and, uh, you know, trying to ensure that their worldview, even as kids, doesn't change. Yeah. That the way they think, they think like children who has been um, trained in a godly environment. And I was really concerned, concerned for um, issues like, um, you know, those were some certain moral values that they never really needed to be taught back home in Nigeria because the culture already condemns certain extremeness. Uh, but here, they see those things as normal things, dress sense, and what have you. And sincerely speaking, I've I've been answering questions over and again. My kids, I've seen more of the Bible daddy than it's worth in Nigeria. Because I always have to make reference to the scriptures. I always have to instill both the moral and the godly values continuously. And I think that's um, some work anyone who's um, having the same experience mm. as um, I have had would have to work on. God is faithful. God is faithful. He's going to be there for them. We also pray for them. But that was my major concern when I was coming to the UK. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can imagine it's concerning for many of us Christians who were being born and raised in the UK with some of the cultural changes that have happened so quickly over the last few years. And uh, sure. you mentioned when we were chatting uh, a while back about when you, you you started researching Middlesbrough when you knew you were going to be moving to Middlesbrough and you researched Middlesbrough, you found some statistics uh, that were quite worrying and concerning. So what what was your first impression? before you arrived here, of what Middlesbrough would be like and what is your actual impression now you've been living here for uh, some time now? Uh, <laughs> I think, um, uh, well, my expectations um, were not the same thing as the reality I met. Mm. Uh, maybe I overestimated uh, the way <laughs> it was explained. <laughs> I did my research. And I can recall one of the first things I saw was I was checking the, the most dangerous places in England. Yeah. And for different writers, Middlesbrough, Cleveland always appeared. If not number one, it's going to be number two. And I was wondering, why is it Middlesbrough I'm going to? And it has this kind of reputation, you know. <laughs> but sincerely speaking, on, on arriving, of course, we stayed conscious. We knew we had a lot to discover. We knew we had a lot to learn. Uh, let's see how things work here and how we could integrate easily without having any troubles. And um, honestly speaking, um, I'm yet to really see what the danger is about. I'm yet to have um, a personal experience. Yeah, but a few times I see certain things I'm not very comfortable with. I might not be very uh, impressed with... Um, uh, police response, you know, to calls and all that. I've had a few experiences in which I felt, oh, I expected more than this. But on the average, I will say, when it comes to that danger, um, it's not as bad as I read. I think it was um, exaggerated, if I will say, <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's not been a bad environment, really. It's We found it easy to live in peace and... Um, We've not come across such issues. We may read about them. Maybe we're not around where it happens. Mm -hmm. uh, but God has also been faithful. He's going to protect us. So even if the danger is around us, 
He said we may see them, but they were not going to come near us. But we, I know we're not even seeing them anyway. <laughs> so that's been my experience. Yeah. Uh, and and again, shared. So on one of the podcasts over a year ago, we were speaking to a, a missionary, and we were talking about how the UK is changing, and in particular how Middlesbrough has gone from being, uh, I think it was ninety eight percent white indigenous local people. Uh, just 15 years ago to now uh, having more diversity. And uh, we were praying, how can we in- encourage people from different nations to-, to come and join the church? And the missionary said something obvious, and he said, first of all, just start praying. So that's what we, we started doing. We-, we started praying that people who moved to the UK who were saved would-, would come and join us and that we'd be able to do outreach to those who weren't from the UK, who, who aren't Christians, and uh, yeah, a year ago we went from being a, a predominantly white church to now a, a predominantly West African church. We have people from uh, Nigeria and Ghana. We've got somebody from Iran. Uh, people from India. It's one. It's wonderful to see. Uh, so apart from the sovereignty of God, <laughs> what what do you think is is bringing uh, more and more people to our churches, and how can we do better at welcoming people? And how can we help serve people who are new to the UK and to our communities? Oh, wow. Fantastic. Um, as you were speaking, I was thinking, and only one thing kept coming to my mind. Um, I think it's the rule of thumb. Um, everybody responds to love. Love is the greatest gift. You know, love is of God. Love is God. Love is everything. Even dangerous people respond to love. And then talking of um, immigrants, people coming from a different culture, already there's some kind of psychological pressure, trying to learn the new things. How do things, things work here? How do I relate with people? Um, definitely it's going to come with some differences. There are different cultures anyway. But then when people like that um, see love, you know, hearts of love come towards them, especially in the church where it's um, mostly expected. Everyone will feel comfortable. Everyone wants to be in that kind of atmosphere. Everyone wants to feel loved. Everybody wants to feel that um, that's a measure of comfort. And I will say if the church can um, walk and focus uh, more, I mean, the church in general, in, in places like this, can be very conscious of the acts of love, showing love, and uh, truly, uh, people, even those who don't know Christ, will get attracted to that kind of um, body. They want to be a part of the body. They want to be a part of the community that has been so loving to receive me. Some people come in here with um, severe inferiority complex um, cases. Some people come in thinking, oh, we've come into um, a country where we're going to come across a lot of um, racism, tribalism, and all sorts. And then some people already have that in their mind, and it affects the way they relate with people. And then they could even naturally develop some level of hostility, even when it is not necessary. But then when such people come in contact with love, you know, it negates what they already have, you know, on the background and they respond with joy and 
love is also contagious, they may also become more loving people, even if they were not from the beginning. And um, uh, sincerely, I, I will say I've experienced it. Even when I went to churches that I did not really like in terms of doctrine, mm. um, I think they were very good in their expression of love and acceptance. And I've also enjoyed a lorry load of that in the, in the New Life Church. You know, that I, I recall we once had a conversation to when you were telling me of your experience uh, becoming a believer yourself and Rachel, how that you had been um, dejected by some set of people who had looked down on you and then you were accepted into the fold and that's really had a lot to do. It's, it's really worked on your heart mm -hmm. and then it has made you who you are today. I believe there are a lot of people also out there who don't understand the person of Christ and the, prayer, the, what, the, the fastest way to bring them to the fold to make them understand this gospel we preach is first and foremost to show it in acts of love, which I believe is the rule of thumb, <laughs> thumb approach. You know, God is love. So that's all we have to give. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, something that I've been encouraged with is seeing uh, how the Nigerians within New Life and the Ghanaians within New Life Every week they come with somebody and uh, they may be living with them or helping them out. And I'm like, oh, is this a friend of yours? And oh, we, we only met them last week. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that how people who might have a very, uh, might not know people well, but they could be a friend of a friend or they might never have met them before. But because uh, the Nigerian or the Ghanaian that take them under the wing and they look after them and they share the homes. And so this community that the, that we are seeing in New Life Church amongst the West Africans is quite humbling, uh, encouraging, but also convicting to see how different the community is within West Africa and how many people look after uh, strangers and compared to what we do within the UK where we're very individualistic and we tend just to be in our own homes and don't mix well. So how, how have you found that, the difference in, in, in the attitudes towards community and yeah, individualism within the UK? Yeah, it's been interesting. <laughs> I think that's the word. It's been interesting. <laughs> You're very correct if you say um, Africans generally um, love this um, you know, communion, fellowship, party together, do things together. You see the crowd. Even, I must say, maybe that's why the church has a lot of population, even back in Africa. People just want to be around each other, mm. you know, and um, they feel life is boring when you don't have many people around, the more the merrier. And um, as good as that may be, it's going to have its side effects because... Um, you can't you can't be in such a kind of a setting and not have um, enough stamina to tolerate people. That's where you get yourself exposed to certain dangers. You know, you might end up mingling with the wrong set of people because, of course, you most likely will have no borders. Mm -hmm. And um, I think every African somehow who has grown up back there uh, must have had their fair share of um, <laughs> getting some, uh, you know, bashes in the process of um, relating, generally relating, and not even just about the church now. 
Mm. Um, and here in the UK, like you said, individualism, it's it's a kind of quiet life. And for someone like me, I've enjoyed the quiet life, you know, is one of the things I'll call um, uh, one of the benefits I will say I have enjoyed here is the quietness, you know, spending time with family, having that private, you know, relationship with your own circle. That also has a side effect because it could just be if any of the extremes are not good enough. Because even as Christians, I think our level of privacy has been, you know, punctured because we have to relate with people if we have to operate as salt and light as we should. So we can't just be salt and light within the four walls <laughs> of our families, you know. Yeah. So, But then I have personally enjoyed the quietness in the environment, the quietness, the, you know, the comportment where people don't just uh, barge into you anyhow, the cutsy, you know, it's more celebrated here and I have personally enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting to see. Uh, yeah, that, that, although I was focusing on the negative side of individualism, there is a, a positive side where, you yeah, get to share time with your wife and and your children, and, and in a way that sure. might not have been possible uh, elsewhere. But I think I really liked what you said there about how can you be salt and light if you just stay within your four walls. So it's about that 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 balance, isn't it? Getting that balance between being in community but also fulfilling responsibility to your those that are the closest to you. And I think that's a balance yeah. that we all struggle with, whether we want to be. In community constantly or on our own we've got to try and meet in the exactly. middle exactly <laughs> the balance the balance is key mm. none of the sides you know both of them are, are, are two different extremes where you don't just want to be on one side you need a little bit of the two yeah. and then get a balance find a belief on point <laughs> yeah oh, cool and again i just thinking about churches on a sunday you you joined the church new life church which was in the transition it, it was going from being a very small church plant that was kind of monocultural uh, in transition to becoming uh, a functioning church uh, that was very multicultural. So some things have changed very quickly and other things have been a lot slower to, to, to catch up. And in, in particularly, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking uh, the, the worship and I know everything we do when we come together is worship, but in particular the singing and and the the, the praise and the hymns. How how have you found that coming into a very conservative? Because <laughs> when you started, we didn't even have any musicians, so the musicians we had have only just learnt in the last year. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a it's a great change. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great change. I've 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 really struggled with adapting. Yeah. <laughs> I really struggle with adapting, you know. Yeah. Um, African churches are not very conservative when it comes to their styles of worship and music. You know, it's uh, it comes with so much fun and expression, mm. you know. And when I was in uh, London, I was a, I I joined a few churches, you know, you know, visited a few churches rather, and um, it wasn't uh, different, so to say, from what I I know in African churches. But coming to Middlesbrough, wow, 
it's completely <laughs> orthodox and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the advantage of that is this for me yeah. in as much as it was um you know like um, a culture shock mm -hmm. the advantage of that for me is that uh, it made me uh seek more of what is core mm. i'd gone to a few churches and i'm like i oh, know like I, when it comes to music it's not the kind of music i would have said i preferred no drums, no dancing. We're just standing there and reading hymns. But in the middle of that, I was able to still find some essence mm -hmm. because these hymns uh, on their own have their own angles of ministration, even to your heart. Yeah. Um, uh, it doesn't come with so much distraction. Mm -hmm. And then it makes me see like, okay, if I don't get the music, the kind of music I'm used to, then I must get the word. Mm -hmm. Then I must go all out for that. So somehow it's not really um, been of any negative effect on me mm. because I I could always balance that out somehow. I could always watch uh, those kind of church music mm. um, on my TV. I could always watch online uh, because um, despite the fact that community church here is a, a kind of community building to where you come with people with like minds in Christ. It's also, uh, it also comes with that spiritual consciousness for me. And, um, I'm going to church today because I believe there, there might be something that God has to say that maybe I'm not getting in my closet, my quiet time. I just want to go to where the people of God are gathered, like when brethren come together in unity and mm -hmm. God somehow has something to drop. You know, it could just be a line from the whole day. It could be from the hymn. It could be from anywhere. But the the kind of calmness that is also in that kind of circle has its place of um, um, creating an environment for your heart to accept things easily. Mm. So just like I've been saying, every side has its own advantage, mm. even if you don't feel you are comfortable with it every time. So I just focus on the benefits of every kind of situation yeah. and I stay put. <laughs> yeah. And that's encouraging, I think, for smaller churches. For churches like New Life, church who might not have uh, a lot of gifted musicians or preachers, or we don't have uh, the razzmatazz that some churches have where they've got large con uh, congregations and wonderful buildings and, and equipment, because it's encouraging to hear as, as a pastor that people are joining the church because of the word of God, because of how the people love one another um, mm. and how people stay because uh, they want to hear what God has to say. Despite the tastes might be different, uh, the expressions might be different, they are hearing God speak through either the words of the hymns or through the preaching. So that's encouraging. But what I don't want to do is stay right. Because people are, are coming, we don't have to change. Because what I would like to see is, uh, as, as the the, as the pews become diverse, we want to see the leadership and the worship and our expression become diverse and reflect the, the congregation as well. So what are some of the ways that we at New Life and other churches could adapt to encourage uh, the, the emphasis maybe, maybe is changing and, and the culture becoming more reflective? How can we do that? Yeah, um... In my opinion, I think uh, the almost the only way, there might be other ways, but for now, that's the only thing I can think about, 
is um, that can be achieved from getting people involved mm-hmm. as um, much as possible. Mm-hmm. Of course, that doesn't imply that um, because we want the inclusivity, um, uh, it shouldn't also be abused, mm-hmm. which I've, I've noticed that kind of discipline too since I came in, that um, that has not been abused. And since that has uh, been in good shape, Getting people involved will bring um, diverse flavors. Mm. If we all have Christ as our center, we don't have doctrinal issues. You know what to expect. This one knows God and there's nothing funny somewhere around the line and you could feel, oh, this can be misleading. Mm. Um, we all have diverse flavors. It's like a football team. Mm. Um, if you want to bring out the best from the team, every single player has its, has its own part. You know, Lionel Messi may be called the best in the world, but he's going to be a victim at the goal post. You know, <laughs> he won't be able to do anything there. He may score goals and dribbles. So meaning that single-handedly he can't achieve what a team wants to achieve. Single-handedly can win the trophies for the team. In as much as he's um, a very integral figure in every team. So every other person is important. So it's when you bring the team together with individual skills, individual ideas and styles, not going off doctrine, mm-hmm. because um, some styles could, you know, slowly go off the doctrine and one might not just notice. And before you know what's up, <laughs> you're like, what's going on here? <laughs> so, of course, once there are some levels of controls to, you know, um, determine limits, and of course, it has to be taken slowly. Now, I'm, I think I'm speaking more administratively <laughs> because this is some administrative skills will have to come to play to know how to, you know, introduce different kinds of flavors. And I think with that, when people start to showcase themselves, we get to see the qualities, the strengths mm. of every individual within the body of Christ and the four walls of the church. And since um, it's quite obvious that to a very large extent, Everybody has the same mind uh, for the cause of Christ and the same mind for fellowship. And um, we may not be at the same level of understanding, which is normal for every system. But then all of us have that center understanding of what we are made up of and why we are gathered. And I think that is one of the best measures of control uh, that one can get when people start getting involved to um, showcase um, their giftings towards the worship. Mm. Uh, permit me to add something close to that. Um, I think this is one of the, the beautiful things I, I enjoy about uh, the church um, here in England. Church in Africa has um, a different and uh, a seemingly, seemingly dangerous uh, kind of um, formation. It's quite unfortunate, but um, I have to be honest here because it's one of the challenges we face uh, back home. I mean, the church in general. You see a lot of people in church in Africa, a whole lot of people. Like, I'm sure if you see the crowd, you will wonder what's going on here. Mm. Like, even if it has to be uh, in the the, uh, middle of inconvenient situations, vigils and all sorts, you see the crowd and you're like, wow, what the people, what the people so conscious of God and all of that. But these same people, to be honest, go back into the world and they don't represent any salt and light. Mm. 
So that's why you look at the society, you look at the community, and it looks so corrupt and um, uh, uh, downgraded when it even comes to typical, you know, moral values. Because the same people who you see in the world um, causing problems in the world, the same people have found themselves in the church and um, also claiming to be Christians. If they find themselves in the church not claiming to be representatives of Christ, yes, we can always find a space for them. It's part of the mission anyway. But then these people also occupy pulpits. They also take very important roles in church. And then you get back to work. And you're like, what's going on here? So it makes a few people who really understand what they are in for to feel alone. Is there anybody thinking like I'm thinking? Is like the world has come into the church. The church has gone into the world. And you find it so difficult to get an identity. It's one of the weaknesses that I feel the African church has. And one of the things that has made it this bad is because, you know, as uh, especially for the third world countries who have... Um, you can classify as underdeveloped countries. The level of poverty is so bad that if I set up a church in Nigeria today, one of the selling points for me is to tell the poor people that when you come to church, God is going to make you rich. God is going to increase your financial status. When you come to church, God is going to heal you of your diseases. When you come to church, God is going to clothe you. He's going to buy you cars. He's going to make you comfortable. Yes, God can do these things. But uh, these are common graces. This is the same God that causes the sun <laughs> to shine on the good and the bad. So the reason why you have the sound health, the reason why you have the money, the reason why you're comfortable is not necessarily because you gave your life to Christ. Because there are a whole lot of people who are enemies of God and God still attends to their needs. They are common graces. Mm -hmm. So if the foundation from, from the moment you're stepping into the church, you don't have an understanding, and then you grow into becoming a pastor. You're going to pass the same virus down. And then you just realize that what's going on here. Now, the beauty of um, churches in England is that people don't go to church. That's the way it is. Because they don't need your church. I don't need your church to have sound health. The systems are working. I'm going to see the doctor. I don't need your church to, to have um, uh, a quality career advancement. I don't need your church to be happy. I don't need your church to achieve whatever I want to achieve. As a matter of fact, the richest men in the world, and many of them are pagans. They don't believe in God, atheists. And these guys perform better in the marketplace. That's the truth. <laughs> so then if you have one of these unbelievers come to church and all you have to say is that God is going to give you money, how do you say that to Bill Gates? I mean, <laughs> so what is your message? I should be the one lecturing you on how to make money. I should be the one sitting down with your pastor to tell him how life works. Yeah. So, but then I think um, the average church in Nigeria has gotten that wrong. Mm. And it's because you, they've taken advantage of uh, how bad the economic system has been um, as a result of bad leadership, not because God has not blessed these countries, mm. but uh, bad leadership has made the environment so terrible that some people have taken advantage of that, even using the church as a cover. You call them in, you drop 10 pounds, and God's going to bless you with 10,000 pounds. Like, how? How exactly? And then after I drop my 10 pounds, I don't see the 10,000 pounds, and I'm angry with the pastor, I'm angry with God. I don't know why I dropped in the first place, you know? So the, the system in itself has affected the church 
and it's setting. And that's what you don't find in the UK. Anyone who walks into the church is coming in with a meaning. Because what else does the church want to give to me? The church is not giving me money. It's not giving me sound out. It's not giving me anything. So if I come into that fellowship and I stay there, it's because my coming there has a meaning. There's something that comes to mind. There's a kind of arrest. You know, something that transcends what my eyes can see, what my hands can touch, mm -hmm. something that a mere man cannot understand. And that is the way, you know, it should be. That's the way it should be. When Jesus was on earth, he always gathered the crowd, you know. And we had experiences when they all left. And it's more like, oh, you didn't seek me because of this and that. This is what you came for. You want to eat bread. You want to do this. And at some point, he even has his own disciples. Would you also go? Mm -hmm. You know, and Peter gave a very important response that every Christian should pay attention to. That where do we go? Thou are the words of eternal life. Now, he has said something beyond what eyes can see. Mm -hmm. So he asked him, where do you want me to go? This is who you are. So the reason why I'm with you is with a meaning. I'm not with you for every other thing everybody comes for. Mm -hmm. If you provide those things, I'm going to partake from the benefits. Yes. But there are common graces. You know, unfortunately, you see the big churches, and then one of the ways to do a kind of acid test is to just look at the church. When you see a big church, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is this really the church? Because I'm wondering, can this number of people have the same understanding? Yes, we desire it that way. But in reality, is it the case? Yeah. So uh, it might be a little bit extreme for me to say this, but um, for, for a better way to explain it, let me just say um, one of the best ways to identify a growing church in the eyes of Christ, in my opinion, is a reduction in number in a place like Nigeria. Because when the church grows in number, I'm not saying it's exactly that way. It's just to buttress my point. When the church increases in number, it might be um, one of the pointers for you to check. I hope something is not wrong in here. Because if we are top-notch in doctrine, we are top-notch in the things, it's core. We let them understand that, you know what? God is not the one who is responsible for this. You are responsible for it. Is your father is going to take care of you. But you don't receive Christ as just your savior. He is also your Lord. When you get into that depth and it shows in your, your teachings, it shows in the things that the church upholds, naturally it's going to reduce in number because now I know I have a responsibility towards God. Yeah. But when everything goes, you know, <laughs> you get the numbers, you get the offerings, you get the tithes, and <laughs> of course, that's good business. <laughs> At least for the business. Yeah, Un unfortunately, we have that in the UK as well, especially in we areas, do. Yeah, <laughs> especially in areas of poverty, they try and we we give a social gospel rather than uh, the true gospel. Uh, we we try and hit people. Uh, Give them hope for the wallet or for the future rather than for eternity and for oh. salvation. And uh, especially with certain Christian TV programs promoting, uh, a, a lot of churches will, will put on a big show. Pastors, they might not be preaching a, a false gospel, but they're more concerned with numbers, some of them, than with 
whether people actually believe in what's being preached. So as pastors and as congregations, we have the same temptations and, 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 and trouble. But I just think the difference is less people are interested in uh, the gospel. There's, there's, there's more of a rejection of the church in the UK than there is in Africa, whereas a lot of people see the church as the enemy, as homophobic, as uh, bigoted. and So I, I don't think the attraction is as big, but I do think we still have the same problems, but maybe on a smaller scale. And uh, yeah. yeah. And again, if, where poverty is greater, that is probably where you get the most. Uh, That's the weapon. That's the weapon. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like you say, the poverty in the UK relatively is we have poverty, but we have running water, we have a health service, we have a co- it's easier to be poor in the UK than it is in Nigeria. So again, there's less need for the poor than there is in Africa, I imagine. True, true. So when you see people go to church here in the UK, yeah. There's something more than the ordinary. Yeah. Except it's uh, for the community, you know, or let me just go maybe for the connections and all that. Yeah. But um, I, I want to believe that most people who find their way to the church, mm-hmm. um, they have um, a meaning somewhere. They have a meaning somewhere. They've been able to understand um, the concept of Matthew 5 from 45 that says it causes the sun to shine on the good and the bad. Those that do good and those that do wrongly, God is responsible for their welfare. He is the one who still causes this thing. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the one responsible for everything. So if you have that understanding already, then you know that. So what makes me different as a believer? It's not these material things. There must be something deeper than what the eyes can see. And I think that's the point that the growth should take place from. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and again, I think just just touching back on the worship. Hopefully, uh, now you're being brought into membership and illusion, and we've got a few other <laughs> capable music, musicians from Nigeria. The flavour of the worship will change. Uh, we have a conference in uh, the thirtieth of June and the first of July. That is the uh, annual Meadows Ministries Weekender at New Life Church. And hopefully uh, you'll be able to uh, showcase some of your skills there, brother. You and Illusion, I've asked if you could Oh, with all pleasure. It's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) That that would be great. And, uh, yeah, no, really looking forward to see how how the church develops and and, and grows over the the coming months and years as we um, see more and more members coming in from uh, not just West Africa, but from from around the world. It's really encouraging. Yeah, It's been great chatting with you. It's been wonderful. Beautiful Uh, experience. (laughs) Oh, great. And I'll also uh, let everyone know when you'll be doing worship at the church as well, so that'll be good. (laughs) I'll be glad. I'll be glad. With all pleasure. (laughs) Awesome. I'll be glad. Thanks for joining me on the In Context podcast. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. (laughs) See you.